you are beloved. Our children got us started. Say it with me. You are beloved. Really, say it with me. You are beloved. Now look to your neighbor. Look, look right into their eyes and say it with me. You are beloved. We have just proclaimed belovedness in our community to one another. But now I invite you to ponder, do you believe it about yourself? Do you believe it about your neighbor? Do you believe it about the people in your life that you find it most difficult to love? Do you believe and can you proclaim with integrity that you and all those you encounter in the world are beloved? If you find yourself answering no to that question, I don't want you to get caught up in feeling ashamed or judged. But I do want to invite you to interrogate that answer and to discern how you are being called into the cultivation of spiritual depth to love God and to love neighbor more deeply. And if you find yourself answering yes to that question, do you believe and can you proclaim with integrity that you and all those you encounter in the world are beloved Once you have proclaimed the truth of belovedness, how will you demonstrate that belovedness? How will you demonstrate that here in this community at MVP, we envision a world where all people know that they are beloved and that changes everything? Today our congregation celebrates the 14th anniversary of becoming a reconciling congregation. We celebrate Reconciling Sunday and remember that anniversary and that decision. We also remember the statement of welcome that we adopted as a part of that process, which reads, just as Jesus Christ invites everyone we seek to faithfully extend Christ's life-giving welcome to all people. Mount Vernon Place United Methodist Church recognizes that diversity is one of the greatest expressions of God's creativity, presence, and grace. As a congregation, we are grateful for the many differences apparent in our community and in our experiences of God. We welcome all people into the life of this church and celebrate and give thanks for our diversity of race, ethnicity, citizenship, gender, sexual orientation, age, physical and mental ability, faith, background, economic status, appearance, marital condition, political persuasion, education, and life experience. We hope you will join us as we continue to discover how we can most faithfully include, learn from, and grow with all people in our community. A beautiful statement of welcome.
a statement that was part of what first drew me to this congregation. As someone in my early 20s exploring a call to ordained ministry, working on a Master of Divinity degree in theological school, and uncovering my queer identity for all to see. This is how I first encountered MVP. And as you can see from this statement, while this explicitly named value of this season, proclaiming you are beloved, which has emerged from our most recent work in post-traumatic growth, I know that many of you would be able to testify firsthand that this value of proclaiming you are beloved is not a wholly new innovation for our community, but rather a formalized expression of who we have been for many, many years to one another and to community. Our past and our present have been shaped by this proclamation, and we aspire to have it more intentionally shape our future. While it can be tempting to see these words, a reconciling congregation, as a simple expression of inclusion that requires very little of us beyond welcoming our LGBTQ plus siblings into our extant worship and community spaces, or to be the gayest church in town, which, to be fair, in the grand scheme of expressions of Christianity is no small feat. It actually calls us to much more than that. You see, if we try to share the gospel or proclaim you are beloved simply for the luxury of being able to pat ourselves on the back for being such a nice or welcoming or inclusive community, or without opening ourselves up to be transformed by our neighbors and strangers in our midst, then we are not sharing good news. And I think that we have gotten it wrong. Through Paul and his companions, who we heard from in our reading from 1 Thessalonians, we hear that they sought to be in relationship with the diverse peoples of that emerging Christian community in Thessalonica, not for their own sakes or with selfish motives, but rather because they were rooted in a deep care that led to their seeking to share extravagantly of their very selves, unguarded and authentic. In our reading and hearing of this scripture, we are shown an example of how to follow in the way of Jesus. Our statement of welcome that calls us to celebrate and give thanks for diversity of race, ethnicity, citizenship, gender, sexual orientation, age, physical and mental ability, faith, background, economic status, appearance, marital condition, political persuasion, education, and life experience requires us to wrestle with the intersectionality of what it means to be a reconciling congregation, 
to wrestle with how we more faithfully center the voices and experiences of the marginalized, to wrestle with continuing to discover how we can most faithfully include, learn from, and grow with all people in our community, to wrestle with how we follow through on being the kind of community we say we are, to wrestle with opening ourselves up with gentleness like a nursing mother tending, tenderly seeking to actually care for those who have been wounded by Christians and the church without causing any more harm to wrestle with the question of how do we get so good at demonstrating to people that they are beloved, that our actions proclaim this truth louder than our words, to wrestle with becoming a church, a community of people that when people encounter us, they cannot help but know, and their inmost being that indeed they are beloved. And that changes everything. And so we come to our gospel lesson, to the greatest commandment, and another like it. In our reading from Matthew, we encounter Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem, in the Roman territory of Palestine, as he seeks to be a rabbi, a teacher, not yet at odds with the imperial authority, and yet already ruffling the feathers of the various factions of religious elites found in the vicinity of the temple complex, Herodians, Sadducees, and now Pharisees. And so, an expert of the law, specifically an expert in Torah or canon or religious law, all the lawyers and attorneys in the room can take a breath. Puts Jesus to the test in one last attempt to undermine his authority or catch Jesus in a theological trap by asking which commandment in the law is the greatest. Literally in the Greek, this word is megas, like mega or super big or large the implication being more about centrality than about an actual ranking among the list of 613 official laws that can be found in Torah. And I'm sure that you could tell me nearly exactly how Jesus replies. You shall love. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Quoting the Torah, the law of Hebrew scripture, specifically a prayer called the Shema found in Deuteronomy 6, meant to be a part of the daily religious practice of the observant Jew, written on their heart and passed down from generation to generation with one slight change to the language in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, it is heart, soul, and might. In Matthew, it is heart, soul, and mind. In seeking to love God, you are not expected to check your mind, 
reason, rationality, and science at the door. And after proclaiming this commandment, to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind, to be the greatest and the first commandment without missing a beat, Jesus immediately claims a second commandment that is like the first. Quoting a second passage from the Torah, this time from Leviticus, that might be surprising to some of you. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of the 613 official laws in the Torah, there are 248 positive injunctions, expectations of things that one should do. And there are 365 prohibitions, expectations of things that one should not do. And yet, when Jesus is called upon to assess all of the commandments and to determine the greatest, Jesus highlights two, which are unequivocally positive. By claiming that upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, Jesus makes it clear that at its core, his faith was as our faith is rooted in love and endeavoring faithfully to be in right relationship with God and neighbor, not in perfecting a series of arbitrary and legalistic regulations. But really, when it comes down to it, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? According to Professor Tim Beach Verhe, one cannot love God without loving what God loves. One cannot love God and oppress or exclude any of God's creatures, even one's enemies. And furthermore, that those who love God must love all God's creatures, even at a great cost to themselves and their own privileges. In this interpretation of Matthew 22, we hear echoes of 1 Thessalonians 2. Loving God compels us to seek to share extravagantly of our very selves unguarded and authentically with our neighbor and all of God's creation. And yet, according to theologian Stanley Hauerwas, to love our neighbor as ourself does not mean we get to decide what such love means. Rather, to love well is constituted by practices that require us to let go of mistrust and vengeance. When examined together, love of God and love of neighbor, it becomes easy to see the manifold ways in which they are intimately intertwined. 
and also helps us understand why Jesus' teaching in the temple left most of the people they encountered there amazed and astounded. Note well, though, that Jesus does not say that we will learn to love our neighbor when we learn to love ourselves. Jesus says that we will be able to love ourselves only when we learn to love ourselves as God loves us and as God loves our neighbors. Proclaiming to others, you are beloved, helps us to more fully love ourselves like God loves us and like God loves our neighbors. You may have heard it said that in order to love somebody, you first have to learn to love yourself. But I say to you, love others anyway. Proclaim belovedness anyway, because by imagining the way that God loves our neighbor and by seeking to love our neighbor in that way, we are likely to discover something about how to more faithfully love ourselves. And only then can we faithfully love our neighbors well, as God desires us to love. Jesus joins these two commandments so that we might learn that we are born in love, by love, and for love, and that we are loved by God so that we will then in turn be able to love God and others. In conclusion, Hauerwas invites us to ponder the notion that to be a Christian is to be called to a life of love. But that calling to a life of love is a lifelong task that requires our willingness to be surprised by what love turns out to be. In the meanwhile, may we never stop proclaiming through our words and actions to every person that we encounter inside these walls out in our community and wherever we find ourselves, that they are beloved, that you are beloved, that we are beloved, and that changes everything. Amen.